When you trash talk San Jose, and then they, well, just that's so MLS. It's that's so MLS with myself, <laughs> Nick Morton, and with me as always is Andrew Bates. We should well, just know by now to not bother saying that there's no hope for a team. I should know better anyway to just not. Why do I do it? Why do I do it to myself? The rain. This is the this is the wonderful thing about uh, about soccer all around the world, and it's also true uh, even in a um, even in sort of like a parity based system like MLS. Uh, the rain falls eventually. You know what I mean? Like, totally. like a team can a team can be uh, can seem like they are, have nothing going on for so long, and then all of a sudden, the the magical day happens uh, where you drop four or where where you score four, and then I just saw those shots, the pictures of the 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 San Jose or three, I guess. Four with the disallowed yeah. goal, but yeah. the 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 pictures of the San Jose fans losing their mind for the for the third goal and the, and the prospective fourth goal were just like, oh my god, y'all needed this, and I'm so happy for you. Yeah, yeah. This was the there was definitely a feel good story in and amongst the games this week, and it was definitely San Jose winning a game. Um, I, uh, uh, I got a chance to look at a bunch. I was in New York, uh, so I wasn't necessarily, I wasn't uh, getting a, a chance to see a lot live. Um, but you pointed me to the Orlando game. Yeah, let's start with probably the most, if we're going to be talking that's so MLS, let's start with, I was, <laughs> I was like, if you see nothing else this week, please watch this game in its entirety. Because... Uh, well, I don't know. What did you think of it? <laughs> what was interesting? Um, I even though okay, so you told me try to avoid the score and watch this game. Um, and even though I didn't know, here's what I knew: I knew that something was going to happen with Chris Mueller, and the joy of watching this game. So, so I wasn't necessarily that surprised when Orlando scored the next goal because, like, that's where the narrative was going. You know, yeah. like, a, a, so maybe I didn't have that moment of, holy crap, they pulled it off. Um, but the thing that I loved seeing in the game is this slow build of halftime, they mentioned, maybe we're, maybe they'll bring in Chris Mueller. And then, mm-hmm. like, over the course of, after the, the lengthy rain break, over the course of the second half, people talking, Chris Mueller, maybe Chris Mueller will come in. And, like, it built to a cacophony, and then he came in, and then he scored the tying goal? Yeah. Well, and it was also kind of set up because last week as well, he'd played a pretty instrumental role, and we've seen glimpses of him. Um, Chris Mueller, of course, is the 22-year-old draft pick that Orlando picked up this year in the Super Draft. So putting to bed some, um, some of the ill talk, I suppose, of the Super Draft, although it may still not be the most productive way of getting good players. Chris Mueller certainly stands out as one. Um, he was selected fifth overball, overall by Orlando, and just seems to have turned into a very quick overnight sensation for the fans, but also a real talisman in terms of both creating chances, and in this case, finishing them as well. 
it, it certainly did feel like in this game he was going to come on and possibly do something special. I think we've seen him in glimpses so far where he's been very dangerous, but it hasn't quite yet fallen for him. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'd sort of pegged him as a player to watch over the course of the season, thinking, um, you know, he's probably going to bang in a couple of goals eventually. But it's bodes extremely well for Orlando, the fact that this early into the season, they found a a young, talented midfielder who can create chances like this. The first person to bang in a goal in this game was Kai Kamara, who scored on nine minutes, uh, collected the ball well. He had a he, he had this kind of like low, it's like low shot in that it wasn't necessarily like aimed low, but it almost like hit his foot low. Like if you think of the the yeah. sort of area in which you would you would catch a volley, it's like it felt like he made contact as as low as you could get without it having bounced on the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a uh, which was like great to see because it. The, what's almost is, is more interesting about this game with all the lead changes is how much momentum that it felt that Colorado had at points. Absolutely. And it really only felt like Orlando that momentum started to shift back in their favor just before Mueller came on. So it was pretty late into the game, it felt like. And for the most part, it was kind of trading goals. Now, for me, the thing that we need to underline about this game is a 4-3 result generally implies that defending wasn't the strong point of either team. (laughs) And that was definitely on display here, that although it's good for Orlando, and I would say it's actually good for Colorado that they now know they can bang in three goals, both teams leave a lot to be desired, because it felt like maybe outside of the Mosquito goal, and I would also argue the penalty that Colorado gave up in the dying minutes of the game, the defending was pretty bad i had this thought i had this thought watching actually including the penalty as well because it's a pretty it's pretty just like bungling into the player of them uh i had this thought going in i had this thought sort of like when when i was reflecting on it that it's like you you see you've seen so many um combinations in the past of two teams that are really strong um, at the same things, or they're just like two very top teams. Like, for example, I think we saw some we saw some uh, New York Red Bulls versus Atlanta like a regular season game that was a lot like this, mm-hmm. later late to the end of last year, where it's like you have a team that's 90 on offense and like 80 on defense meet, mm-hmm. and nothing happens. Because yeah. they're so focused on shutting down the other team. That was the MLS Cup in, in 2016. What am I thinking, right? Like, you see yeah. two teams that you think are going to blow each other out of the water. Uh, and, and nothing happens because they're both so focused on depriving the other of oxygen. So so the the half fans 2-1. And I feel like for a lot of Orlando fans, the, the what could have been discussion is that um, it was raining pretty heavily throughout the game. Uh, but there was then an extensive rain delay. Um, as uh, as rain rolled through the area, everybody sort of had to gather underneath. Um, everybody had to gather underneath the stands. The DAZN, you knew something was weird watching it because the DAZN stream, like the on-demand stream, was like three hours and 15 minutes. 
Yeah. <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, soccer games aren't that long. What happened? Um, and I'm Absolutely. trying to see if there was a, a, an estimate of how long they, they stayed out there. I think it was about 90 minutes that the, that the, um, that the delay was. So a lot of people wondered if that sort of like hurt Orlando from a momentum perspective. And it was Colorado scoring the, the next two goals. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, overall, um, I think this is great for Orlando. I still think it's good for Colorado, but my big to watch for both of these teams is, okay, lads, we know you can score goals now. Um, we need to see some serious improvement at the back end. Because sure, they're going to steal some points, and um, you know Colorado's in a position now where they're scoring a lot of goals, but have won. I don't think they have won a game yet, have they? They've only drawn, so they're putting themselves in a bit of a sticky situation where they're they're really needing some wins. However, they were also let off the hook this week because their midweek game was canceled due to snow. So hopefully that will give them a little bit of breathing space to do some extra uh, drills there and get their positioning right. Absolutely. And I think that that was, for me, the really surprising thing is, of course, I went into this thinking, okay, if Portland can win this one nothing even to get their season rolling, that'll be great for them. I'd basically all but written San Jose off, assuming that they would have capitulated this one. Um, but not only, I mean, the goals, Espinoza, that just absolute cannon of the shot up close shows that, like, they really weren't going to make any mistakes about getting that ball in the back of the net. There was no... Uh, walk the ball in or dribble it across the line. It was hit it as hard as humanly possible so that it comes out the back of the other side. If, it's a, <laughs> if you take a shot, hit it with conviction seemed to be the, the purpose here, and it certainly worked for them. Um, but overall, I still felt like they played Portland completely off the park. All over the place, they looked better. Um, and defensively, although Portland didn't bring a lot to it and they didn't have a ton of chances, I still thought we saw San Jose that looked far more resilient. And the thing for me that just really stuck out to me in this one was that there's definitely parts of the park where Portland has looked okay. Like, as you said, it's the makings of a team that can be good. And you would expect they're going to start to pick up points at some point in the season. This isn't a team to totally write off. But there's points where a player would get beaten and just, like, throw out a leg and then just stop and halt and it was sort of like even like just after the first goal Portland had all but given up hope and so midfielders aren't completing their runs to track back when they're getting beaten and just this really lethargic performance from them that I thought well at this point in the season is that really acceptable to just sort of completely give in and give up especially against a team that you know has struggled what's not clicking for Portland that they can't think, okay, at halftime we can pull together some semblance of a game plan to get ourselves back into this one. Um, it seems like there's rumors of possibly another striker joining their ranks, which I think is desperately needed, but it's still a little bit confounding when you look at the amount of talent on that Portland side that they have struggled so hard to pick up any points at all. If you come so close, you miss... You come so close to winning with three goals, and you don't. And you come so close again, and you don't. That might begin to, not just the, the finals thing, but the the self, the, the ability to, like, like, like have that self-definition of, like, we've still got it. We're still a great team. We can still build forward. 
they they kind of need a confidence building win, I think. Absolutely, and that and that to me is like they're not playing like a team that has confidence, and that's what was so heartening about seeing San Jose is you know Hosen Espinoza, uh, Vaco, you see uh, Vega as well. Their goalkeeper had uh, saved the PK. Um, I just love that. We saw some players that hadn't gotten much time. Shea Salinas was another one, um, and it gets his the goal to kick things off. That they looked like a team that had something to prove and were hell-bent on proving it. And Portland was in exactly the same position and just never looked like they were really in the game at all. Um, and sort of like we were criticizing Montreal last week, you know, this is not the time in the season to be sort of hunched over and giving up against the minnows of MLS. Um, so that whatever it's going to take to get that confidence going is sorely needed, it seems. You're absolutely right that they have confidence in in some of the things where you talk about the the Portland players, like you know, not really you know sticking up a sticking out a leg and then getting beat. Are some of the things that you have you might have said about San Jose early this year and, and last year. Um, I especially look at you know uh, when when they concede the penalty. Um, I love also the little the cheeky move of the guy who who concedes the penalty, uh, getting his his forearm struck and then immediately sticking his hands behind his back because he realized that he messed up. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like I, I mean, we everybody saw that. I'm sorry. Um. But the fact I had in my notes after Vegas scored that, it's like, wow, San Jose can do nothing wrong. And this is not a team where you – well, I mean, this isn't a team that would have been two up or three up by that point. But this is not a team where if you were in the middle of a, of a, of a harder scrabble game that you would have thought, oh, well, they're definitely going to save this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it... Yes. Another team that seems to be bursting with confidence with something to prove. I have one point. Or I just have one. And the, the other point that I have to make about this, that, that not to continuously, uh, not to commit the, the sin of, of continuously trying to focus on Chris Wondolowski, because I love that there was one goal in the, the highlights package um, where... Uh, like they scored a goal. It's like, I can tell you that Chris Wondolowski beside me was the first person to start celebrating that goal. Um, he didn't appear. He was on the bench. He wasn't summoned from the bench. Vaco did not start. He was only brought on in the 70th minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think that that is, I, I wonder if that's like sort of a key component of like, listen, you guys have to come up with a problem yourself. Yeah, Absolutely. And it's it's good to see players being held to account. I know there's been rumblings about some of these players not starting, but you know, I I don't. Maybe there's a method to the madness. If Almeida's sort of reading them the riot act and saying, "Okay, like this is the way that I want us to play. Prove it to me." And you know, for the players that maybe haven't stepped up as much as they've needed to, to sit a few games out and watch their team lose. Um, and and then get subbed on, and it's like, okay, so now show me what you can do then if you think it's not working. I think that, I don't know if that's necessarily the plan, but um, I guess we can only wait and see as things move forward for them. No doubt. Uh, A team that just seems to be 
rolling ahead with all the confidence against a team that just seems to have forgotten who they are and the fact that they are the New York Red Bulls. <laughs> Minnesota, I thought, we picked up possibly the most surprising win of the week with a 2-1 win over New York Red Bulls that I, I had to... I watched most of this game, and I was really impressed with the way that Minnesota was playing. They're still a little bit slapdash and chaotic, but we know that that can still win you games and get you some crucial points. There's always time to clean that up, and if you're playing messily against some of the best teams in MLS and winning, who cares what it looks like? But I looked into it. This is nine road points out of a possible 15 for Minnesota. That is, I don't know if it's the best, but it's got to be darn close to it for this early in the season like this bodes very well for a Minnesota that's about to open up their brand new stadium to have nine points out of a possible 15 away if they can keep this momentum going they're putting themselves in just such an amazing position early on and giving themselves a ton of leeway and for a long season I was also really surprised by this because you know you look at the uh you look at teams that have had a long, like that's all five of their, that's their first five games. Um, nobody else in the league has played five. Uh, you've got uh, 0-3-1, uh, three losses and a, tra- and a draw from Salt Lake. Portland have four losses and uh, and a draw because they're also doing renovations on their stadium. Um so it's like you when you look at long long haul road trips to start a year, this is like as good as it gets. Absolutely, and I mean, I I don't know if you would agree with this. I'm not incredibly surprised. I maybe I may be surprised given their opponents this week, but we've talked in the past about how the fact that Minnesota always had a good squad, and especially last year we saw the attacking prowess. So it was really. Can they start to string together some defensive performances? Because otherwise, they have a good team. I mean, Ibarra's blasting in goals. Um, his goal in the uh, the first half was just a stunning little volley. So there's things that have been clicking for them, but now it seems like the whole system is starting to click. The two key things that I I lock in he, into here, um, I am not. Uh, I'm not giving up on the Red Bulls just yet. I think that they still have their mm-hmm. chaos team approach that still got them one goal. Uh, I think that the key things here is that the goalkeeper um, put a stop to stuff for uh, for Minnesota. Villanone. Yeah. Uh, he did great. But the number one thing that you see from Minnesota that, that got them to this was counters. Um, mm-hmm. When... And, and this is like a team mentality thing. When they were able to to dispossess or or sort of frustrate a, a New York play and gain possession, they were immediately breaking back. Which even if it did, even if it only resulted, in, even if it didn't always result in goals, resulted in chances, um, and was just like you know fr- uh, frustrated the uh, the attempts of. New York in a game where they had uh, 63.1% possession. Mm-hmm. And what I love about Minnesota's counterattack is they're attacking with four, five, and six players. We're used to seeing counterattacks where it's two or three that are bursting with speed, but Minnesota has so much speed and has uh, great midfield talent as well 
that they're attacking in numbers. They're able to also, as you say, kind of create a little bit of chaos in and around the net where there's people available for the rebound as well, which in a what traditionally has been a strong defensive side in Europe Red Bulls is a really brilliant strategy to use. I'm still kind of blown away that two of the best young center backs in MLS, because I was like, Tim Parker and Aaron Long just not play? Nope, they were both, <laughs> they were both there, but both just seemed to be really not aware of what was going on around them and just a little slow on the pickup. So I'm, I'm not placing the blame solely on them. Um, I think New York has a lot of work to do in terms of defending as a team, but overall, I just thought they, they looked incredibly weak. But that's to, not to take anything away from how good Minnesota was, especially on the counter, as you pointed out. I feel like I'm drawing a blank here, but when I look at this diamond, maybe having this defensive midfielder uh, messes with their frequency. Mm. Um, I, I don't know if they always do that, but it makes them... Uh, it, it it takes away some of the width. I yeah. Uh, I was gonna say that. Uh, um, oh, I had one. Did I have one more note with this? Uh, the other team that I thought was uh that, that I think that I've really been impressed with that I think, if you look at teams in past that have been like, um, coll- like teams that you really think have a potential and should really um, start using it, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with their, they had, I think, the 2-1 win. Uh, yes. Yeah, against Dallas, which was kind of surprising because Dallas has looked not great, but good. Um, but I agree. We've sort of talked a lot about Philadelphia's potential and even the first couple of games this season looked a little meh and now there's again starting to string together the results and putting themselves in a pretty tasty position i guess they're they're in fourth now in the east yes that sounds right um yeah no they've been putting themselves in a great position uh they recover from dallas has that uh amazing free kick from rio ziegler yeah um loved that He's he's great, and it's just uh, on that you kind of see Andre Blake's uh, own wall is kind of getting in the way of his shot. So people are like, well, or so like people note that he doesn't move. He can't see the shot because his defenders are trying. His defenders are too tall in front of him. Yeah, well, and and I've experienced this too. Like it's great to have defenders in, but sometimes when defenders are pinching, especially at the top of the box, it really does create. Like you say, almost a wall where it's very hard to see if the ball's on the ground, what's going to happen. And so if somebody's hitting it at speed at one of the lower corners, it's virtually impossible to get to it. And I've definitely not not that I'm comparing myself to Andre Blake, but I've been in in terms of standing still as a ball goes into the net. Yes, I've done that part. <laughs> I'll compare you to Andre Blake. <laughs> um, the uh, 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 uh... So they, they the where where Philadelphia I think really shine in this is that that happens on the, that free kick happens on the tenth minute and they sort of keep fighting all the way to the end and then eventually do find their route on uh, scoring on the eighty fifth minute to tie and then scoring an extra time uh, to get the home win. Uh, yeah, and I, and I love that this is just the 
the grit of this team to grind out a result like this, to be down, to just keep fighting, to to level it, and then Bedoya as well is just one of those players that, I for some reason I keep forgetting that CJ Sapong isn't with Philadelphia anymore, <laughs> and this was a very CJ Sapong goal where it's just like I am deciding to score a goal now because I want to win this and go home. <laughs> that Bedoya's had that kind of just get up and go to be like, all right, let's do this, and just like decides it and does it and gets past the, uh, the pretty good Dallas defense and then is able to just dink it in. Absolutely. Another team that had a gritty win, I thought, was uh, Columbus, who won one nothing against New England. Mm-hmm. Um, that game, it had shots. Eight, eight, the shots were 8-7. <laughs> it, had a, it had goals. You the the, the lone goal was had shots. What a glowing review! What a glowing review. The game had shots. One of them was uh, Federico Iguain's free kick directed in by Josh Williams. Uh, kind of like a, a people who 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 were looking like the commentators analyzing it loved how Williams sort of like he didn't even really move his head much. He just sort of like banked the the ball in off the side of his head. I wonder about taking a about taking a shot to the side of the head. I don't know if there's the same the same brain protection there. That worries me a little bit, but but hey, it worked. Sure, yeah. No, I mean <laughs> I've done it and I definitely ended up with a concussion. I also didn't get a goal from it either, so. Uh, you know, I've been hanging out with wrestling fans uh too much in the last week because my my notes say that this is where you should start chaining CTE. Which which yeah, makes no, no sense. Uh, <laughs> which makes no well, I mean, like, which is a terrible thing to think about, uh, a, a terrible thing to say anywhere other than that than, than that arena, chronic traumatic encephaly. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I hope Taylor Twelman's not listening to this. Oh, um, but yeah. This game was a bit of a snoozer, but what's the reason why Columbus is so good and the reason why they get themselves into the playoffs so often is because they just do what needs to get done. And as many teams in MLS frustrate us week to week when they have a victory that just should happen, okay, Columbus doesn't blow New England out of the water in this match, but they also didn't need to. And I'm totally okay with a team that goes, let's just play in first and second gear and grind out the win here. I'm not saying they played easy or anything like that, but I I think that Columbus is smart to know the games that they can win. They go, okay, let's calm this game down. Let's control the play. Let's frustrate our opponents, and let's just win it. And it just means that we need to be professional about everything we're doing and not giving away silly chances, which is exactly how they played out this game. I feel like the New England and Columbus games are always a little bit tame, that um, this kind of result seems to happen, but credit to Columbus to be able to continue to do it. No doubt. Um, I have here that there is a... Uh, this is this is a game in the past we've seen some real... In, in past games this season, we've seen real failings on New England where we think, oh, why didn't New England, you know, how is New England this bad? They weren't necessarily bad here. They just didn't have anything to recommend them. Yeah, and that continues to be the point. I think everybody, including New England, is making about New England is 
In terms of going forward, they're really just lacking some firepower. Um, the team is maybe, I think they can get a little better, but I sort of feel like New England is starting to hit their s- ceiling this year without adding some new exciting components. They added a new exciting red card when Mancian, uh <laughs> totally uh, like destroyed oh, yeah. Yeah, Higuain's legs in an unnecessary way. That that's You can't do that. You can't do that. Um, let's talk Vancouver, LA. This was, uh, this, the, the, the Whitecaps and the Galaxy, uh, who we've discussed, they don't really have a rivalry, but it just seems like they, they always seem to, to, the, the, the games against them, regardless of, of which star they have on their, uh, their roster seem to be an attention grabbing point, um, uh, in Vancouver. The, uh, there was an early, I think this was a game that for Vancouver can be really defined by this early penalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear the commentators say, as if cursing it, this is a chance to take their first lead since the first game of the season. Mm-hmm. And the new signing who had seen, there had been a lot of positive momentum attempts a Panenka that is seen from a mile away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is not, it is not taken. So, so the, the point, and this is something I was talking about with Portland too, is that we've seen calamity teams. We've seen teams like San Jose. We've seen teams like Portland, like Portland are playing right now. Uh, and like Colorado last year where it's like, I don't know how you can project that this team is going to get better. You know, like, 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 mm-hmm. and, and that's not true here. There is like so much that can be positive. The, the, the pieces are, are there all there. You have a, a, a great, uh, attempt from our days. He's, he was, uh, he looked good. Mm-hmm. They look good. They don't look like a team that like, like that has that sort of lack of passion. And is it, is it, you know, putting their feet out to, to stop chances. It's just not landing for them. Yeah. Well, and for 45 minutes, it was a good match. They looked as good as they have since the beginning of the season, or better even. Um, outside of, sure, uh, a horrible take on a penalty that you really just need to smash in. But my take even in the game was like, look, fine, it happened, let's get over it, and this is why you let strikers take your penalties. Um, you let your star signing left back take it when you're deep in the season and you're up to nothing you don't i don't even think he should have stepped up to take it he sort of insisted um there was definitely in the last game when it looked like we may have had a penalty against seattle where adnan had stepped up and seemed to want to take it as well but again as you say shortly after that rds has another chance or our days rather and um uh, I think Adnan had another shot from far as well. So they were able to recover after that. But it just seems still to be uh, something that's not quite... Well, doesn't seem to be. It's it's just not happening for them. Um, although I think that ultimately you can say of Vancouver right now, things are starting to move in the right direction. They've got some great talent. The chemistry's starting to come. However, they're now five games in with one point, and 
it's not just a case of thinking, well, okay, can they realistically make the playoffs? Of course they're going to win games. You look at this team right now and you go, of course they're going to get better and of course they're going to beat some teams. But the trouble is when you get six or seven games in with so few points, it then heaps the pressure on. I still think this club has enough talent that maybe we don't see the same summer slump that we've seen with them. But now they can't really afford to have it. That to go on a, a, a winless streak like they have in the past of even two or three games really puts them at a disadvantage if they're not putting points together now. And I mean, as we're talk, as we're recording this, they're about to kick off with Chicago. This to me is an absolute must win, especially when we consider the LAFC result that we'll get to in a moment. That makes that makes total sense. Um, the possibility is the the upside to this whole idea of, of tearing the team down and building them back up is that maybe it just doesn't have that. Maybe that uh, that midseason slump just won't happen. Um, mm-hmm. Something I don't want to talk about at length because I feel like it has been discussed, but it's the big it's the big talking point. So let's just mm. you know tackle it. Is what this could idea, it be? This idea of you're able to hear some cheers when uh, when Ibrahimovic scores uh, yeah. the LA second goal, and also he's he's assisting on the first. Um, a lot of people have weighed in very negatively on this and in, in you know saying oh it just means there's no supporters culture which makes supporters mad because they're there um three quick things to say about this one thing is to acknowledge that la is a i i don't know to what extent there's any sort of market research on on what la's support happens in other places but mm-hmm. beyond ibra it's like la was a lot of people's first mls team so I want to give people credit that if they're even if they're not in the traveling section, there is possible that people do legitimately like LA because they've been one of the most promoted MLS teams since David Beckham arrived. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, in two thousand, uh, like in in seven, eight, nine, it's like that's two thousand seven, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. That was the jersey you could find in every sports store in Canada, right? Like, yeah. like, like that is. I wouldn't begrudge anybody for liking the Galaxy on that basis. Um, that's step one. Step two is uh, there is a – this is partially the club's fault because the club has done marketing around the idea that you're going to come see marquee players. Yeah, They have created an atmosphere of you're going to – you're coming – even if you're coming to support the Whitecaps, you're becoming you're coming because the opponent. And when they don't have an argument towards that, they're uh, they they don't have a great way to get people into the building. And the third related point is, unlike and this is where I think you really have to give some props to Seattle, in in other places. Uh, there is a supporters culture in Vancouver, but it is too focused in the supporters section. So I don't even doubt that, that I, I wasn't there, so I don't know how loud the cheers were. But I think that if there was a supporters culture that was more widely spread around the bowl, we might not even be having this conversation. I think I'd agree. Um, as a person that sits in a supporter section, I can tell you the cheers weren't coming from the Southsiders or Curva. <laughs> um, but no, I completely agree with all your points. I think uh, a little 
yeah, it's a it's a conversation that I don't know how worth it is having it. I think there's arguments to be made for definitely encouraging supporter culture in the whole stadium that hasn't necessarily happened for the Whitecaps. Um, and that's not on the shoulders of the fans. At no. the same time, my feeling is also, similarly, there were clearly a lot of people at the match who had probably never been to a Whitecaps game, probably never been to an MLS game, and they came to see Ibrahimovic if they want to cheer for the player that got them in the building. I don't necessarily have a problem with that. And I also agree that it's a bit of a shame. But yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I shrug my shoulders a little bit. Maybe I'm part of the problem. I don't know. I get let off the hook because I was uh, tweeting snark while Ibrahimovic scored his goal. So although I was there, I actually didn't even witness his goal. I had to watch it on the highlights afterwards. <laughs> the uh, um, We talked about Portland and uh, Minnesota as being teams that are existed only on the road. Uh, but one team that has also uh, not had a home game yet this season and, and has done a, a decent go of it is Montreal. Uh, they are two two and two. This is maybe the answer to your question: Is has anybody had a better start than than three two and zero? Oh? Uh, mm. Is uh, is 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 Montreal? Not a lot to talk about in either their zero uh, zero against New York or this New York City or the zero zero against DC. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Evan Bush has been great, and uh, and it's great to you know regardless of whether or not the the wins have always or the draws have always been pretty um mm-hmm. uh it's not as flashy as 3 2 and 0 but it's certainly not 0 4 and 1 like portland so great great work to them yep and as always we've said with uh with teams that are not winning if you're not winning don't be losing and that was our criticism on montreal last week with two games this week they didn't lose either so from Montreal's standpoint to say, you know, while there's trouble figuring everything out and finding an answer for missing Piatti, which we know happens to them at points in the season, I say these are two completely acceptable results for them against two sides, admittedly sides that have struggled, um, more so in New York City than DC. But overall, you feel like um, Montreal is continuing to build where they left off. And even when they're struggling, um, they're not going on long stretches where they're losing games. That's absolutely true. Um, uh, I also think that the impact got lucky because uh, uh, City scored and then had the goal disallowed and also the impact had a player sent off. Uh, but the that didn't cost them either that game or the game where they uh, uh, where they ended up not being able to use Maxi Arruti, who is the, the player who got the red card. So, bullet yeah. dodged. I agree. And I think, I just saw your note as well, and that's something I remember from the game. I don't think Rudy's purposely trying to stomp down there, but I agree that when you're you're reviewing it anyway, you kind of have to give that as a red. I thought it was a little bit harsh, but ultimately I'm like, yeah, I, you, you do have to call that, I suppose. But I, I it, some people were making it out to be like this really malicious stomp, but you don't do that kind of thing and then immediately turn to the player and try to help them up and also like acknowledge that you stomped on them um <laughs> you walk away as if nothing happened it's not everything he, it's clear that he knew he had done it and didn't mean to do it not everything dangerous is malicious but it was dangerous yes that's a good point 
the uh, the remaining Canadian team in our uh, in our stable here uh, had a wild two two draw with Chicago. They sure did. This uh, one was I fun. was. <laughs> I was uh, my the first thing that I thought of when I when when the the when I first heard at the beginning of the, the, the highlights package that three wins to start the season was the best result for this team ever, which a highlights the lean years that they had, and b um, highlights a real difference in this team to past years, which is in both of their key years they started the season very poorly, mm-hmm. or at least weakly, not not not. Uh, not necessarily, you know. How can you how can you say very poorly when they set the record? But like it was, mm-hmm. it was soft at the start of the season. Yeah, they certainly weren't blowing away teams like uh, we came to see later in the season from them. Um, Pozuelo finds Altidore for the first goal with his beauty ball. Yeah, I <laughs> again as as much as people were like, okay, we can't say he's going to replace Giovinco. I'm kind of like. You know, right now, probably he's still not going to have the same goal production rate, but as an overall player, I kind of go, it seems like a bit of an upgrade, no? The, the, the key thing at this point in the, in the Toronto development is to keep um, Altidore happy and well-fed with crosses. I think Absolutely. that that's so key. Um, in Something the, to snack on. They did that here. Um, that was on the 31st minute. CJ Sapong uh, levels it up just before halftime uh, with a, uh, a chip ball that uh, chip ball to him that catches the defense napping. Um, this is I I would suspect seeing that you wanted to talk about the far post. This is the game where I think that uh, that, that you would you'd fo- you'd focus in on the most. Uh, I mean, it can be said that CJ Sapong does like a goal here and there. Yes. Um, and especially likes to finish these ones. But just, you know, I know that Toronto has struggled defensively, but for me, this is just like, again, one of those ones where you go, look, as a, as a fullback, as a center back, when you're in those areas and you're defending in your own box, do your shoulder checks. Do it when <laughs> you're making left turns and do it when you're... Uh, marking in the box just check that shoulder the fact that nobody sees him there and then you don't you don't give yourself time to react i'm not saying you need a player glued on them every time but as a defender in the box you have to know where players are and know when they're going to be a threat i i take less of an issue with a player that gets beaten by jordan morris because you might see him but you don't anticipate him to close 20 yards in a matter of seconds uh, that's forgivable. But this one is like, CJ Sapong is just walking up to that spot and he doesn't miss from those areas. So for Toronto, I thought that this one was really uh, points lost. And you had talked about this LAFC game. <laughs> you had, you'd made a reference to this uh, result and how it makes things challenging for uh, for Vancouver. It does a little. Uh, we should mention, too, at the time of recording, we've now kicked off in, Van- or in Chicago, rather. It's nil-nil, six minutes in. But part of the complicating factor of Vancouver's slow start is that, and why it's so imperative that they get maximum points out of their game in Chicago, is that LAFC right now is just burning holes through teams. And this was one where I thought DC could have been a lot better. 
but overall actually didn't play that poorly. But they just, as had happened with a couple of teams this week, got completely played off the park. And um, didn't help that Rooney got sent off. And it was the definitely the right call there. Again, an- another dangerous but not malicious challenge. But LAFC is another team that's picking up where they left off. And they've tightened the defensive issues a little bit. And, you know, all the key players from last season are performing exactly at the levels they were last season. Vela looks even better. So this is where I go for everybody in the West right now. The slower starts, the Seattles, or, well, maybe less so the Seattles, but the the Portlands, the San Jose's, the Vancouver's, the Colorado's, the RSL's a little bit. LAFC is going to be a really, really difficult team to even get so much as a draw against. Um, and this is where teams need to be focusing on the, the winnable games and actually winning them and seeing them as important because um, that's that's why I felt so disheartened initially at our loss against LA Galaxy because I'd sort of said before the game, look, if we can't beat the Galaxy, we're certainly not going to beat LAFC. And as things stand right now, um, I hope that statement's not true, but LAFC just looked by far the best team this week. The one note of of calm I want to issue is that we've seen LA start strong and wither somewhat. Absolutely, they, they rely on a on a hot streak. But what else can you say other than it's they they've got a they they scored four. They managed to shut DC up completely. Diego Rossi got a hat trick. Yeah, and just and that's the thing, right? Is with um, I definitely agree about the momentum thing, and also. Um, the the momentum that they're able to create again. This isn't just winning a game; it's it's winning it with a bit of an oomph and mm-hmm. spreading the goals out a little bit. Granted, yes, an injury to Rossi and or Vela means that some of that can dwindle. But when you're getting maximum points out of your games early on, that means that you've got a little bit of leeway towards the end of the season. So great for them not so good for dc because then we saw them falter later in the week um in a, a another score uh, goreless well goreless too but a goalless draw against montreal um and just looking completely anemic without rooney however i would argue they still had the better chances and Ariola and acosta certainly still pose great attacking threats for them um uh, the the main note I had from Seattle RS, uh, Seattle's one nothing winning over RSL is that it really the 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 volley goal from Ladero while it seemed like he was falling backwards was great yeah. and they were great especially in the first half it felt like they could have had more uh, but uh, all RSL could manage was to hit the crossbar so they were uh, they avoided punishment hey they hit the other post too. That's true. <laughs> they hit two posts. Lots, lots of posts. Lots of posts also in Cincinnati, Sporting Kansas City. It's true. The one uh, one quick point about the RSL game is I yes. actually thought that for large chunk of his, chunks of it, RSL did look like the better side. So I'm still thinking that all hope is not lost from them. And I thought that, um, again, cleaner finishing and maybe this is a tie and possibly even a win with those two chances that clam, clanged off the post. So... All hope is not lost there. And also, uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, 
they've managed to unsubscribe from Red Card Weekly. It's true. They kept 11 players on the pitch. Good work, Petkey. Um, Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati gets its first goal from a penalty, um, after Lamaz pulled down, uh, the, I think they initially red card the wrong player on that, uh, on it was that a play. yellow think, card. Yeah. But yellow, it was definitely it was mistaken. A mistaken yellow that would have been a second yellow, I think would have been if it was to the right person. Um, if I'm wrong, uh, they could have had two more through posts from, Darren Maddox and, and Kakuta Mane, um, but neither of those happens, and the Sporting Kansas City equalize. Yeah, again, um, well, not again. I don't know why I keep saying again. Cincinnati's a good team. Um, I was really disappointed Kakuta Mane needed to score that goal, and it's really disheartening to see a player that is kind of coming back exactly where he left off in MLS, which is Great pace, great dribbling, and just none of the finishing spark. Where Darren Maddox has been able to improve his game, it's to finish some chances and actually pose a bit of an attacking threat. He did have 10 goals last season with DC and didn't play a hell of a lot after Rooney came along. So possibly could have had more. Um, but from Cuckoo to Mana, you, you expect a little bit better. Um, my other big takeaway from this game, though, is uh, Busio, the young player for SKC, is another one to watch that when you've got a 16-year-old that can change games like this and get you points on the road, um, it bodes well. Granted, Sporting Kansas City crashed and burned out of the Champions League, but they did as, as they did better than any other MLS side ever has against a Mexican side, so um, not all bad from them. So maybe some tired legs, but again, a difference maker at that age. Peter Vermees just has such a winning combination at his team, and I don't think they'll be too, too disappointed with a draw in Cincinnati, given how tough they are. Absolutely. Um, I. Uh, it's interesting to track where the... the with, with, the uh, with the way that Cincinnati has been working with the draws... I'm interested to see kind of where their form is lying. Mm-hmm. In addition, uh, because you know you've seen games where they seem very uh, they seem very on it, and then you have games where it seems like they they can't put stuff together. I think that that's that's kind of above average for a um, uh, an expansion team. Absolutely, I would agree. I think that given where they're sitting right now and the types of performances they've had against some really good sides as well, granted sides that are maybe not yet in full gear, um, it I think really good things are going to continue to happen for them. They've just they've got depth, um, and the only thing I'm thinking of is maybe yeah some some extra striking prowess could be needed and. Um, this is also without Fernando Adi because uh, he went and got himself a DUI and is now suspended until further notice. So um, we'll see what happens there, but they might need a new DP. It's probably going to be a striker. If they've got some money, they could be uh, a side that gets themselves quite comfortably into the playoffs, I think. I hope that we that, do. We know for sure that Addy is is gone long term, or is it just a? 
it's until further notice. It's like the the substance abuse and behavioral commission, oh. or whatever it's called, has to make a ruling. So he's suspended by the league until other until somebody says otherwise. I think what we've seen in the past, like with Kyle Laren and stuff, is it's generally a week or two. Um, one article that made its way around uh, through the Guardian. Uh, it made its way to the Guardian today. Um, it's something that's been ricocheting around for a while. Uh, it is about the uh, the continuing allegations in in uh, about the the Whitecaps in Canada Soccer's uh, youth system made by Sierra McCormick, mm-hmm. um, in a, that have been made in a blog post. Uh, essentially, uh, I, I highly recommend that you seek this article. The sickest thing Canadian soccer rocked by claims is systemic abuse. Out yourself. Um, the uh, the the sort of the route to try to do a quick summary of it is that um, essentially in 2008 there was uh, there were coaches that that were uh, there were was claims of impropriety uh, impropriety from players um, that essentially players believed that the coach would never end up coaching again and then the coach has ended up coaching again mm-hmm. um, which brings to question how various players, including the white various um, um, bodies dealt with that. Um, and especially because the, the blog post in question from McCormick also brought up a, a different, uh, a different thing involving the white caps. Uh, the, the, the 2008 allegations uh, involved sort of a coach that was in charge of the U 20 team and the white caps team. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something where uh, the where I think the people have been doing their best to um, to corroborate and and look through what's happening. But the key thing that everybody is looking for from bodies, including the White Caps, including Canada Soccer, is leadership to ensure that when issues happen, people don't just leave. And, and punishment is not made public because punishment might be um, un, uh, it, it might be a negative for 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 whoever that uh, that person was employed by. Um, they have made uh, I I believe that there's been that this is an update from an earlier statement uh, made after a blog post signed by uh, other players from the U20 team corroborating the original McCormick blog post. Mm-hmm. Andrea Neal has also written articles about this situation in, in her role in the whole situation in 2008. Um, mm. the, uh, the, the, the statement from the Whitecaps begins, there is no higher priority at the Vancouver Whitecaps to the safety and well-being of our staff and athletes. Um, as a club, we hold ourselves accountable to a respectful workplace policy to the highest standard and expect the same from every member of the club. Now... Uh, the the remainder of this statement, uh, which is one, two, three, four, five paragraphs long, um, and uh, and maybe we can find a, a way to get a link to you on the Twitter or something. Yeah. Um, ha- but essentially, the 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 substance of the statement is, um, we hired an ombudsman. We hired an ombudsperson. We did our uh, we did our best to have policies in place following the ombudsperson's. Uh, investigation uh, in 2008 um, the ombudsperson had while the ombudsperson had no 
recommendations for further action, the club and coach parted ways. And then they say, based on the new U-20 information, there may be more evidence that they didn't know about at the time. So they said, we're, we've, we have contacted the VPD, but that's the Vancouver Police Department. Uh, and, and sort of that's the extent of what they said. So, so essentially the Whitecaps response to all this has been, we do have high internal standards. We did hire somebody to, uh, we did hire somebody to look into it. Um, and that was the extent of our responsibility. It must be stressed because this is a really tough situation, of course, that everything is allegations. Mm-hmm. And nothing has been uh, tested in a court of law. Um, I would, in general, stress that this is why it is very important that allegations be handled externally and not internally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the idea of shuffling people around, as we've seen, uh, is not necessarily taking responsibility if something has occurred. So... Yeah, we'll keep people posted. We'll continue to follow it. But obviously, it's something that we'd love to see clubs um, in North American soccer and Canadian soccer take a lot more seriously and show some leadership on um, and not just stuff after the fact. Still. <laughs> Still. Um, we, could, uh, we could now adjourn here uh, to, to watch this Whitecaps game. Oh, I've been watching. <laughs> oh, sorry. What you're uh, listening to now is a recording. Until you, uh, uh, until next week, where can we find you online? You can find me on the far post, watching ever so closely on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. Where can we find you? You can find me at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. I am an editor at Howler Magazine, whatahowler.com. You can find this podcast at thatsomls.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Do those things. Until next week, uh, maliciously or dangerously, don't get sent off. Nice.